Lord, we ask you to bless this evening as we study, study your word, help us to, to see what you'd have us to see as we look at this repentance of David and, and the psalm, and we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 51, which is one of the psalms that I've liked over my lifetime. I've gone back to it a few times. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of your loving tender your, of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the innered parts, and in the hidden part thou you shall make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors in your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O Lord, and you, God, of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open you my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you desire not sacrifice, else you I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your, in your good pleasure unto Zion. Build you the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall you be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with the burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks unto your altar. All right. We're going to go real quick here to 2 Samuel chapter 12 because we want to get the history of this, of this uh, psalm. 2 Samuel 12. Starting at verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan unto David and came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished up and grew up together with him and with his children and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was, was unto him as a daughter. Then came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said unto Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he will restore to the, the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of, of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives for your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. 
And if that had been, been too little, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. Wherefore thou hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wife in the sight of the sun. For you did not, for what you did secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Howbeit, because of this deed, you sh that you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto you shall surely die. And Nathan departed into his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare and unto David, and it was very sick. We'll stop there. So the history of this was the sin of Bathsheba. And you think about this, do you, get a, do you see the sense of how long it's been since this has happened, when, from what I read? Don't think that this is real quick. The child has already been born. So it's at least <laughs> nine months. And they don't use infant, they use child, so we're probably talking a little over a year. Okay, David has not repented of the murder and the adultery for over a year, or right around a year. So, and then we come to this time, and Nathan comes before him. And Nathan did a great job, and I'm sure God gave it to him, you know, giving him the story about a lamb. That was so sad. I always remember that story, how that repented before God commanded like a child. Well, you can figure how David felt as a, as, a, as a shepherd. You know, it's been a year since he's been a shepherd, but it, you know, his reaction was, hey, if somebody did that to one of my lambs, <laughs> You know, and it really hit him hard. And then, you know, then, then the finger being pointed at him, you are yeah. the one. You know, you've taken Uriah's lamb. The murder of Bathsheba's husband, was that the one sin that was held to give him most for God? That is the one that, well, it's the one that God gets mentioned. It's, mentioned. it's the one that gets mentioned. It's mentioned. Yeah, I mean, he was forgiven just like anybody else, but... Yeah. But this, this whole thing, if you saw, what it said was, the sword's never going to depart from your, from your house, and it didn't. He, had, he was chased out of, the, out of his castle on multiple occasions, even after Saul. Absalom chased him out and took his concubines and, and put, went to the rooftop of the palace and took them, uh, which was that, that statement of, what you did in secret will be, we, yeah, we've done, will be revealed on the, on the, in, in plain sight. And they took the son, you know, and, the, and the, their firstborn, you know, son was d killed. Uh, you know. Well, he was told that too. That he was yeah, he was told all this, and this was not, you know, this was not something. That, and it goes to show us that even though David was forgiven, there's still great oh, consequences yeah. for the sin, and it goes the same for us. Even though we will be forgiven any sin that we do, there's always consequences for those sins. And we really want to be aware of that. I mean, that should be enough to stop us from sinning, you know, when we really think about it. There's always consequences. And this one, you know, when we think about this, David, a man after God's heart, 
followed God, but for at least a year, if not a little bit more, he's rejecting to repent. Could not been able to forget the sin that we do. Could that be some of our consequences? Uh, you mean not remembering the sin? There's things that I've done that I really think, well, that's what you I can't did. forget. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm forgetting, but that may be why something else had happened. Well, I. I, well, that's how I think. And it may or may not be true, but we want to be very careful thinking that way. Not on everything, know. but only on certain. Right, you know, because there's certain. Call it sear, sear our conscience, not intentionally, but it. can sear our conscience, but what they're talking is lack of forgiveness and. But this is where we get into this morning's message that we need to live in the truth that we are forgiven, and not try to think the bad things happening to us are because of, of sins that are already under the blood. But yeah, I believe in that, but you can't forget. I can't forget some of the things. I, I know they're forgiven. That I do know they're washed away. But you still remember I remember. Something. And it's not nice to remember something no. hateful you've said. And you something. can't ever retake it because it's past. But how do you forget something? Forgive? Well, I you, forgiving yourself and I you, you forgive yourself, number one, but the, the, the only way you ever forget something is quit rehearsing it to yourself. But if something comes up and it brings it back to you, but how do you forget it? The more you rehearse <laughs> it, the more it stays on the forefront of your mind. But I don't really rehearse it, I don't think. I if don't, you're, if I it's, don't try to think about it. If it's on your memory, close to your oh, memory, yeah. it's being rehearsed. Oh. I get reminded. So is that Satan? Satan is doing it. Uh, and what you need to do is say, God, you've put it under the blood. Help me, for, help me to forgive myself and forget it. Because God has forgiven. He's put it under the blood. And the more you rehearse something, I mean, you want to stay angry at somebody, keep rehearsing what oh, they've no, done no, to you. I, I'm just saying, yeah, you know, if you want to stay really angry at somebody, keep rehearsing what they've done to you over and over and over in your mind. But then like and it'll get just, worse. But then what you just said, that our sins are forgiven, but because we will have to pay for it. So that sometimes why I think about it, because I think, I mean, no matter what, it is still, I'm going to have to pay for it. But there is an end to the consequences. I mean, David had something so serious that God said you're well, going to yeah, be, that, that, you're going to be, uh, you know, judged for the rest of your, your, your days. I mean, little um, but we've got to be careful because one of the things when Job's friends came in when he's having all of his hard time, and Job had already done this because he believed the same thing they did, that, that when you do things right, you get prosperous and, and rewarded. And what did they do? You did something wrong. You deserve all this. Okay, so we've got to be careful even judging ourselves. And having said that, let's go to what I just read this morning. It is in... <laughs> no, no. No, no, what I read this morning in my personal, in my personal, uh, first, uh, first Corinthians four. We're not, we're not on Psalm fifty-one, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, we'll pray for you. Happy birthday from us all. Alright. Alright. First Corinthians 4, starting at verse 4. 
but I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified? He that, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to the light the hidden things in the darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praises, uh, praise of God. And I want to bring out this, judge nothing before its time, including our own mistakes, because we don't know what God is doing in those lives, okay? And Paul is saying, I know nothing of my own self. Even what I think I know about myself is usually wrong. And when I think I'm doing something good, I may find out that it was the worst thing I could have done. When I do something that I think may have been a bad decision, I might find out that it was a good decision. We don't know until God reveals everything. And in what Paul says, we're not even going to know until we're standing before him in the Bema seat. Okay? So we want to be very careful about any kind of thing where we say, oh, that was so bad that I can't, unless God told us that it was so bad, you know, that we're going to have to deal with it. I would be very careful of, and David was a very rare case where God says, you've done something so bad in my sight that you're going to carry it. Now, we know that David was fairly old at this but point as well. Bad. He and he did. He committed, he, he yeah. arranged for a murder. He took a, he took a woman. Uh, uh, you know, so there was a lot of bad in that. But we want to be very careful when we come out that we're not judging something we did is so bad that we can't forgive ourselves and we keep bringing it up in our minds. And this is that bad. Yeah, well, I hope, well, hope you've never done anything that bad. Murdered, but even your part, you're never that bad. You know, it's just. But you get to, you get what I'm saying on this yeah, yeah, is we yeah. want to be careful. We want to live in the truth that we're forgiven. God has put it under the blood, and we cannot judge whatever's happening to us as saying this is because of what I've done. Because even <laughs> because God in Romans eight twenty eight says that all things work together for good. And sometimes the bad things that come into our life are the tests we fail because we didn't trust him enough to pass the test. And those tests will lead to something good in our life, even though we failed the test. But what is so sad now is that I'm learning all this, but it's all of these years, why didn't I learn it 30 years ago? Oh, I think sometimes, why didn't I know before I was 100? <laughs> it's God's time, you know, what are you talking it's, about? It's God's timing. It's God's timing. It's it's. I wasn't focused. You weren't ready to hear at the time. Yeah, yeah, no, I wasn't ready. You weren't ready to hear the time, and in many cases, let's try to get into Psalms now. All right, let's look at verse one. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. And this is David. He, you know, he's had a curse. Basically, he's had a curse pronounced on him by God. You know, you're going to have the sword in your house. You know, uh, what you've done in secret will be, be done to you in, in public. Your, your child is going to die. And if you've, read the, if you've read 2 Samuel, we only stopped where the curse was pronounced, but the, the child got sick, and David went into mourning for, I can't remember how many days, but he went into mourning for days, and, the, and he wouldn't eat. He fasted, and, and when the child finally died, the, 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 guys were whispering, the guys were whispering in the corner, and he goes, as soon as the child died, yeah. he jumped up to eat and he goes, well, why are you doing this? And it's simply, well, while the child was alive, there was a chance, but now that he's dead, you know, I'll have to see him. That wasn't me. I'm a so, so David here is saying, have mercy on me. 
He's asking for mercy. And what is mercy? Does anybody remember the definition of mercy? Yeah. What is mercy? Mercy not, not is... Not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. Right. David knows that he deserves you know, great punishment. As a matter of fact, God did show him great mercy because he didn't have him killed. The king was subject to all the laws of God, and murder is a capital offense. So God said, I'm, not going, I'm giving you great mercy. You're not going to die. All right, you're not going to be killed for well. You're not going to be killed for this was transgression. Was the love of his life? Was he loved more above all the rest of his wives? Um, there's some indication that that might be true because he 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 was the one that wanted to put Solomon on the throne, and she wasn't by far she wasn't his first wife. So, was she the love of his life? I don't know. She was well, definitely influenced. It's it's possible that she was really the one he loved, but I mean, David fell in love with lots of women. I mean, it's. Um, well, it seems that everybody back then fell in love with a lot of women. Yeah. Abigail Abigail stopped him. Abigail stopped him from murdering uh, her husband, uh, and so he, when her husband died, he married her. You know, David yeah. fell in love with a lot of women, and mm-hmm. you know. Was she one of the last ones he fell in love with and, and he possessed? Or was she just a better politician and maneuvered, in, maneuvered Solomon? In? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. The Bible doesn't tell us. I heard he had 12 uh, wives when he was finally got that. I'd have to go back and count them. I don't, think, was, it, I don't think it was 12. but was number 13. It was a bunch. She he he number, had a number of them. He, she was number 13. Is what it, I don't think I've, I've never heard that. I've never heard that, but. Uh, I'd have to go back and count how many wives he has, but I know he had a number of them. He didn't have near as many as Solomon. No, I don't know how that many were. Well, sultans and those sheiks and these guys all have a lot of wives. Most of them, though, were wives out of political political arrangements. So right, and they're princes. They were all princesses to tie countries together. So I mean, it was dumb and not right. So, okay, so he's asking for mercy, and he says, and the 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 reason he's asking according to your loving kindness and the multitude of your tender mercies so he's saying you know because you are so compassionate because you are wanting to give us mercies give me great mercy and so this is where david's david's attitude is and he says blot out my transgressions literally obliterate them exterminate them do not let them exist anymore and transgression is a hard word. Transgression is rebellion. He's not even talking about sin at this point. He's talking about transgression, which is that harsh choice of decision. Deliberation. Deliberation. Deliberate. Deliberate, deliberate sin. And there's some indication that this was deliberate sin. I mean, David definitely murdered Uriah deliberately. Yeah, deliberately. Okay. And he was trying very hard to hide it by trying to get Uriah to go into his wife while he was away from the field and his men were on the field trying to make him convinced that it was his baby. Uh, and probably deliberate to call Bathsheba to him because you gotta think of all the stuff he did. He saw her, the first look wouldn't have been a sin, but the second, third look, the, the gaze, and then you know, the arranging of having her come there was not a simple, you know, a simple thing to keep it from being the talk of the town. He had to send, a, send somebody in there, bring her probably in a back door, you know, trying to, you know, the whole palace would know this. This isn't going to stay, this wasn't going to stay quiet anyway. Uh, but he's saying, blot 
out, obliterate, obliterate my transgression. He's trying to get out of the consequences of his sin at this point. It says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, iniquity is depravity, the guilt. You know, has depravity and the guilt associated with that depravity. And he says, cleanse me, purify me, make me, make me morally compliant, cleanse me from my sin. Again, the guilt. This word for sin in this, in this, in this uh, psalm is the guilt of sin. So David is now guilty. He's feeling the guilt. He went over a year without feeling, well, seemingly to feel the guilt anyway, not, not guilty enough to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice and, and ask for forgiveness. But when Nathan puts his finger in his face, basically, and says, you're the one, and you did something, you know, Nathan basically put into David's mindset how awful what he did was. Now, David, up to this point, has probably been justifying the murder of Uriah as, well, just another one of my soldiers, you know, that died in battle, no big deal. But he deliberately, yeah, but he deliberately set him up, but he's justified it in his mind that he has not murdered Uriah. It was this person, uh, person throwing the stone off the, off the wall that killed Uriah, so it, it was battle-related. Battle so he's, he has done what we talked about this morning. He's justified his sin. Trying to sear his conscience, uh, you know, he's he's gone out and he said, you know, it really wasn't my fault. If he wasn't in battle, this would never have happened. Uh, and he's and he's justifying somehow the the taking of Bathsheba to be his wife. You know, well, I, well her husband died. It's no big deal. You know, he is justifying himself up to this point. Not he's not even looking at the fact that he needs to go to the to the you know temple and offer his sacrifice and ask for forgiveness before God and, and all of that. Uh, but he's now asking God, he's now, been, now he's now been hit with the severity of what he's done. And oftentimes we are in that same place where we don't really realize that what we, the severity of what we've done as far as the sin goes. Until it's put in our face. Until it's put into our face or we get into the word and it puts it in our face and says, hey, you know, <laughs> look here, this word says <laughs> that you've sinned. Then we need to come down on our knees and God, please forgive me and, and repent and, and let God put it under the blood. It's already under the blood, but let it put it under the blood in our minds and let it be forgiven. And this is where David's at. He says, make me pure. Make me pure in all of this. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And this goes back to what you were talking about, Sharon. Our sin can ever be before us. So this chapter is going to give you an answer to how to get rid of that as we, as we come across that. Verse 4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Now first off, who was this sin against? David says God, but who else would we have said that he sinned against? Uriah. Bathsheba. Uriah, Bathsheba. This poor child that's not even going to get to live. And one other thing, he sinned against the kingdom His because people, he, is, yeah. he is responsible for the kingdom. His people. His people. David has sinned, but he's also revealing something very important. The only person who has ever the target of the of the the sin or the recipient of the pain of the sin is God because God is the only one that can be sinned against okay I can hurt somebody 
And I can commit a sin before God that touches that person, but it's not a sin to, against them. It is a harmful act against them, but the sin is only against the one who set the law. Which is why in our, in our country, in our government, when you go to court for something, for murder or an accident, you are not charged with you know, so-and-so against so-and-so. You are so-and-so versus, uh, versus uh, the state of Arizona or the, you know, the, or the United States of America versus the person who caused the crime because the one who wrote the, made the law is who has been offended. And it's the same thing for God. Now, when God gave the laws, he said, if you sin and you steal something, the sin is against God, you are going to give back to the person a 20, what you gave plus 20%. Okay, and that's what we're learning in the Leviticus right now, is when you harm somebody, the sin was against God, and the restitution was to the person that had been harmed by the sin. And you also had to give to God in the sacrifice the same way, which went to the priests. So... He's saying, and David is acknowledges, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. He's finally recognizing the true nature of the sin. Now, he really needed to just, justify, but he's no way he can pay back the dead man. Okay, and it appears that they had no family. It appears that he only had one wife and there was no family involved in all of this other than Bathsheba. And he says, that you may be justified, that you may be right when you speak, you know, that your judgment will be clear. There's no, there's no contradiction in your, in your, in your judgment. Verse four, uh, 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And this one, I was shapen, I was made to bear, is what it really means, the iniquity. Okay, David is being made to bear the iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And this one's kind of a hard one because it, it's, it says the sin again is the guilt of sin. But his mother was married to his dad, so there's no guilt in this. So this is a hard, I don't really understand this one. I don't understand this. I think that he's referring to the fact that the sin nature came from him because he was born. Yeah. That's the only way I can make any sense out of this. It came through his family. Um, Blame his mom and dad. Well, he's not blaming them. He's just saying the sin came from it came from that. The sin nature came through that, and because his mom was married to his dad, as far as we understand and know, I mean, he's considered a legitimate child. So there's no there's no sin involved here. There was no illegitimacy. Original sin. So I think he's referring to original sin here, the guilt of sin. He wished he wasn't born. I won't punish you, but I'm going to punish your kids. Well, God says he doesn't do that. What? God says he doesn't do that. But he, no, just, he just wishes he wasn't born, right? There might be some of this that he's wishing yeah. that he hadn't been born. You know, uh, that he's caused so much. He and he's he, right now he's wallowing in his guilt. Okay, he is wallowing in his guilt because his people are going to be hurt because he's going to be chased out of the kingdom. He's, he's, going to, he's going to be, his family's hurt. And David wasn't the greatest father out there. He did not raise his kids very well. Uh, partially probably because he was always out to war and, and running a kingdom and busy like a lot of men are. And, and he did not, if you look at his family life, he's got Absalom who's going to be a problem. He's got... Uh, uh, a lot of wives, he probably figured were taking care of the kids. Yeah, who knows what? Did he chase Edwardson out from 
his house or out of the country. Absalom chased David out of the palace. Well, I know he did later, but did he throw him out? He originally he originally he cast him out of the out of the out of it because Absalom was trying to steal the people's hearts. Yeah. And so he kicked Absalom out. Absalom raised up an army, took and kicked his father out of the kingdom, out of the castle. And David really had a hard time because he loved Absalom and he didn't want Absalom killed. So even when, even when he got Absalom out of the Jerusalem, he told him, when you go to fight him, do not kill Absalom. And his general didn't pay attention to him and killed Absalom anyway uh, because he knew that Absalom was always going to be a, a problem as long as David wasn't willing to punish him. And even when he called Absalom back, uh, Absalom did not get to come back to the palace. And that's when he started trying to win the hearts of the people. It wasn't the prodigal son story. No, it definitely wasn't the prodigal son. He raped, he raped Tamar, uh, he raped his sister, and, and David kicked him out, and then he allowed him to come back, but wouldn't allow him to come all the way back. And then he was angry, of course, because the prince doesn't get to go to the palace. and. It's really interesting stories and backstories on all of this stuff that happens on this. So it's, um, so we got David saying, you know, hey, I was I was born in sin, and this is and this is how I look at this because we go back to Hebrew poetry repeats itself. I was born in sin, born to bear sin, and sin did my mother conceive me. I think is just a poetic way of saying, you know, I was born in sin, it's and, like in and it's in our bloodline. Uh, because that's what it is. When we come back to the poetry, the poetry of the of the uh, Psalms, which if you remember the handout we gave way back at the beginning of all of this, we have the, the, the style of poetry. And if you lost it, let me know and I'll get you another one. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inner parts, and in the hard, hidden part you shall make me know wisdom. And this is where David's saying, in reality what you really want from us is for us to know truth. What is truth? Truth is God's word. Okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The word is truth. We read all through Proverbs where it says, wisdom declares from the, from the door, and, and the truth calls out to you. It, it is all about Jesus. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the word. So we, he wants his word in our inner parts, and he wants us to know wisdom because his truth is there. The more of his truth, the more of his word we get into us, the better off we're going to be. And the earlier we get into the word, the better off it will be because it is where wisdom comes. It is where we learn how to think with God, how we, how we learn to act, how we get to know the truth and walk Before in truth. Before we change, I don't have one of those poetry. Uh, oh, okay. All right, we'll get you a poetry. Well, it was only given out uh, two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, so. <laughs> yeah, so I want one. Okay. <laughs> All right, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, this is something that's very interesting, hyssop. Uh, in case anybody wants to know what hyssop looks like, it's, there's a picture you can pass around. It's, uh, it's kind of a... Leafy, leafy, leafy plant grows up against trees. It's just a bush. Okay. Is it bitter? I mean, it's. Uh... It uh, is pretty bitter, from what I understand, because it can be used to uh, very much like uh, ipatax syrup. So oh. it's not something you really want to eat unless you've been poisoned. Oh. 
Oh, so you don't eat it then? You know, that's what it's not like something you're something eating. You see around not, not bitter herbs you're going to put on. No. Now, <laughs> hyssop is used in a couple of places. Exodus 12. As we go there, does anybody know what happens in Exodus 12? Yes. I won't necessarily expect anybody to know. Exodus 12 is the Passover. So in Exodus 12, we're... I should have wrote down the verse. Yes. Yep. It's seven. Seven? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I want the one that says hyssop. Anyway, they, they, they were told by, in Exodus 12, and I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, and I don't know why I didn't put it in there. Uh, no, that's not it. I should have written it down. But anyway, they were to take hyssop and dip it into the blood and strike the post. Now hyssop, as you saw, was this big branchy, leafy, mm -hmm. leafy thing, and, and, it, and it bunches up good, and, it, and it's used to, to strike the lintel. And the, the two lintels, the head post, and the blood was in the bottom, which, does anybody remember what that represents? The cross. That represents putting the cross on the door of the house. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I can't find the hyssop in there, and I should have wrote that down, and I don't know why. Probably because I didn't think I was going to turn to it at the time. Uh, the next place that hyssop is going to be mentioned in the scriptures is Leviticus chapter 14. And Leviticus 14 is a picture of the cleansing of when a leper would be healed and would come to the temple. Hyssop was used in sprinkling the blood upon the upon the the person who had been cleansed of leprosy. All right? And then the other place where it's mentioned outside of Leviticus 14 is Numbers 19. And Numbers 19 refers to what's known as the red heifer. And the red heifer was needed to be able to anoint the tabernacle. Okay? Uh, well, now, red? Because it was a special, it had to be pure red <laughs> heifer. And it's not been seen. The Israelites right now are looking for a red heifer. Apparently, they're very, 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 very rare because it, it, and it says that according to the, the priest, they can only have a certain number of non-red hairs to be considered a red heifer. For the for the for the uh, tabernacle. Now I bring this up because the hyssop is used in all of these things, and all of these things that it's used for represent Jesus, the Passover, the cross of the, on the door, the Passover lamb, the cleansing of leprosy. Leprosy is a is a type of sin, and it takes Jesus's blood to cleanse from sin. And the leprosy and the purification of it had to be used with the hyssop and the blood. The red heifer, the one sacrifice that allowed the, the temple to be, or the tabernacle to be purified and cleansed, representing again Jesus. 
in this activity, of a, even though David doesn't know it, he's saying, purge me with hyssop, the, the sprinkling of the blood from the Passover lamb, the red heifer, the, the lamb for the leprosy, whichever one you want to use, and hyssop was associated with, he's saying, I need Jesus' blood. Even though he's not knowing Jesus at this time, I need the blood of Jesus to and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We are cleansed. We are made whiter than snow. Now, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to those who've lived in the desert most of your life, but if you lived where snow is, you know, snow is considered white. Yep. But if you really look at snow, very little snow is very white. But all through the Bible, it says white. Well, because if you look at snow from a distance, it's white. Right. You've got to look at snow. And I don't know how many people have ever really played with snow and looked at snow. Mm -hmm. But snow is very dirty because it forms around all the dirt and stuff in the air. And at its core, it's got that dark color to it. Yeah. Uh, but snow is considered clean, snow is considered white, but if you put a put white paint or white piece of, a true white piece of paper on it, you're going to notice that it's not white. When Jesus is, uh, appeared again after his resurrection, he was whiter than white. Whiter than snow. Yeah. Whiter than he was, he was purified. It's, so we see, we see in, the, in the hiss of the idea that Jesus' blood, Jesus' blood is being pictured with that hyssop. That bunch of plant being sprinkled on things. Uh, and there is an indication in Hebrews, just so you know, that, that hyssop, the hyssop plant was used for sprinkling the blood around the, around the altar that we've read so many times. And I'm not going to be surprised if it was. But it was never mandated that it be hyssop. Okay, there are certain places where hyssop was mandated, but the sprinkling of the offerings was not. But it makes sense that it would have been. Okay. But it was never a mandate that this had to be hyssop. Hyssop was mandated for the Passover. Hyssop was mandated for the wow. red heifer. Hyssop was mandated for the cleansing of the lepers. Um, but not for the general sprinkling, sprinkling of the blood. Any questions before we go on? Any comments? All right, verse 8. And I love this. And this is where the answer to how we get over this. David says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. I love this. Make me hear. Okay? When we are sorry for our sins, we're sorrowful, we're, we're having a hard time dealing with it, what is usually the last thing we want to do? Hear anything joyful, isn't it? The last thing, I, when I'm feeling guilty about something I've done in a sin with God, the last thing I usually want to do is read his word, listen to, listen to Christian music, come anywhere near God. Okay? And we see this happen a lot in churches where people get, if they do something they just think is so far that nobody, that God can't forgive them, the church can't forgive them, they can't forgive themselves, and the next thing you know, they're not in church anymore. They're not reading God's word, they're not praying, they're not listening to, to praise music. They're not doing listening to sermons. They're not doing anything that's bringing them before God because when they stand before God, they feel guilty. And that's why people do it. I understand completely why people pull away from the church when they feel guilty. 
because they get into God's presence and they feel even guiltier. All right? And David is saying, make me, make me. He's actually kind of saying, God, I want you to force me to hear joy and gladness. I want you to teach me to be able to serve you. In other words, take the bones which you have broken or crushed that they may rejoice. This is the key to being able to forgive ourselves, to get over the things that God is out, has out there, is we start concentrating on God. We say, God, and I would even go, I would even use this prayer, make me hear joy and gladness. <coughs> and the bones which you have rejoiced may be broken, uh, that you have broken may rejoice. Think about this, something, when things are broken, if you've ever done any cooking with herbs or anything, if you break them, you let loose the juices and the, and the oils, and you get a greater effusion of the benefit of it. Sometimes God has to break us for us to totally give ourselves over to him. Okay? And that depends on how stubborn we are, how headstrong we are. <laughs> When you're like me and you're very headstrong, sometimes God has had to really crush me to bring out the desire to serve, to bring out God out of my life. Because God says, some knows that sometimes we need to be broken. And we'll get more into that when he says, when we get down to the broken and contrite heart. He knows often that we need to be broken and contrite before we're going to let him work through us. And he knows that it has to be him working through us where there's no victory. There's no true victory if it's not him doing the work. So this brokenness is important. This brokenness that it says, I need to break you of who you think you are, who you, who you, who you want to be. And again, we talk about that. The flesh wants the flesh to, to be somebody. And God's saying, I don't use somebody's flesh. I use them when they're broken and I work come out of them. God wants to break the pot that we have around us and say, come on out. Let me be manifest. Let your spirit, let your flesh die and let him come out. And David says, hide your face from my sin and blot out mine iniquity. So he's doing it again. <laughs> blot out. And this time he's using the word iniquity which is, again, the whole idea of the sin that is so strong. Iniquity is depravity, okay? Transgression, rebellion, iniquity, depravity, okay? And when we really see how depraved and rebellious the flesh is, the easier it is to put it under the blood, the easier it is to let God crucify it. Until we see the wickedness of who we are, we're not going to put it under the blood. We're not going to allow him to do it because we're going to look at him and say, well, it's not that bad, God. I, do, I like it. It's not bad. And this is where God spends his, our lifetime sanctifying us, helping us to see how really depraved and wicked we are. Jeremiah said that we have nothing good in us. You know, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all that we can understand. And this is what I've said, the more we walk with God, the closer we draw to God, the more light he shines on our life, the more wickedness we see in us. And, I, and I've shared with people, when I was a teenager, and when, when Paul said he was the chief of sinners, I used to think, what a crazy statement, Paul, the, 
the Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, as close to being perfect as you can get in your walk. But you know, the older I'm getting, the more I realize that Paul was starting to see himself for who he really was. You know, every little pride, every little issue that he built up there, and he's saying, man, I am terribly sinful. And the, the older I get, the more I'm seeing how sinful I really am even though I used to take pride in the fact that I wasn't that sinful. You know, I had never done drugs and alcohol and, and all these things. And I, and I had a little bit of pride in that. And God is, huh? <laughs> yeah, he was, but he thought he was doing God, doing it for God. He thought he was doing God's work. He was purifying the, purifying the church or purifying Judaism. But, but you see, as you get older and God starts showing us how much sin we have in our life and we start really realizing how sinful we really are, it helps us to then turn it over to God quicker. Because until we recognize that we are sinful in an area, we're not going to turn it over to God because we don't see a reason to turn it over to God. And this is why when you read Proverbs, Proverbs is a great book to start reading if you want to learn about how, how, how sinful we are. And he starts talking about lying lips and gossips and... You know, the seven things he hates are all things that, that harm people at their soul level and things that we wouldn't even place at the top of the list. And God is saying, these are your sins. These are your sins. And, he, and we read through the scriptures and we start seeing this is sin. And then we start realizing that anything that's not of faith is sin. Now, that's a hard one to grab hold of. But I think when you're younger, you sin a lot. But to me, just I'm not... Saying, well, I hope I'm not saying wrong. But when I get older, I, I know I'm not sinning as much as I used to do when I was younger. Well, that I'm depends on how you define okay. sin. I'm yeah. sinning as much now that I ever did when I was younger, but most people aren't going to see the sins I'm doing because most of them are now in my soul and my mind. I'm dealing with the things of lust and, and, the, and, the, and the, what my heart wants to do and what my flesh wants to do. I may not act as much on the sin openly as I did younger, but I'm also seeing how every desire of my heart is to sin and reveals to me that there's a lot of sin in my life. So it's a little different. You're right. You're right. It is a little different. Okay, when you're younger, you just go out and do whatever you want. You're and you do what you want, but now... But then, then God reveals how sinful you really are in your heart. And see, this is where we've got to be careful because when you're younger, you do all the crazy stuff. You're not, you think you're invincible. It doesn't matter. You may not even follow God. But yet when you get older, God starts showing you all the different problems you have with your, your heart. The whole but, desire to but sin. But isn't it true, too, when you get older, you get better because you're not doing all of that. You, you, if you're being sanctified, yeah. you are in a better place than you were yeah. when you were younger. I and I will agree. That, yeah. yeah. Each, each year you walk with God and you clean some sin out of your life, you are better than you were then. then, then yeah. But you're still yeah, I mean, I'm never going to be good. Yeah. yeah. You're better than what you were 20 years ago. Yeah, but by the same token, you start really realizing how sinful you really are in the process and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not, but, you know, it's kind of a two-way street. You're better off than you were, but you never. A couple years how I think of things now that helps me a lot. 
Because whenever I think of something that you should think of, I always think, now, what would Jesus do? And, that's, and that makes a big difference because then you don't do it. Right, and you're going to keep getting more and more sanctified, and, and it's kind of a dichotomy. It's a hard dichotomy. You're much further down the road, yeah. but you start seeing how far you are from the cross, and you start seeing oh, yeah. how really far. I mean, when you when you first start dealing with it, you're going, okay, I just got to stop drinking, doing drugs, you know, going out, going out partying all the time, and you start, okay, I'm getting rid of those, and you think, okay, I'm I'm, I'm there. And then God says, no, the cross is way out there. there there's more well, valleys and see, dips. That's and I never think I'm ever there. Ever, yeah. Ever, ever, ever. And but never I will be. I I'm getting better. Right. I'm getting closer. Getting closer, but I know I'll, you know. And we but want to keep that. Sinful, right. And we I, need to keep that mentality. But I keep that as a focus. Like, I'm going to get better. I'm never going to, I mean, I'm always... You're always going to be working for it until the day you die. Right. And I think the easiest example is this. Somebody crossing a desert, you know, uh, uh, the plains or something. They're looking at a mountain. You know, well, let's not look at the mountain because that actually tells you you're getting closer. But if you concentrate on the fact that you're walking across this plain forever and ever and ever and not getting to the mountain, this is where our growth, our walk with God but then, is. like you say, then it gets you mad and then you do really good and all of a sudden you get a detour. stupid. Yeah. And the the yeah. problem with it is yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and we get we do get better. We do get better because God has given us a new nature like, and a new heart. And it's not us that's getting better, it's God who's getting better yeah, in that's us. What I mean. yeah. And well, this well, is where it's this is where it's the most critical for us to understand. If we could fully focus on God being in charge and us being crucified, we'd be like Enoch. Enoch or Elijah, Elijah and would be, we'd be translated into heaven because we'd be perfect. But you know what is so weird? Like, I have a couple things that I promised, and I would promise myself, but then, like, I told my sister a long time, my sister in California. I said, I promised myself, and I promised, I said, I really don't promise, but I promised God I wouldn't do this. And it's neat because the thing that I promised, I have never done since then, and I won't because I figure. If I promise, I can promise myself that no big deal. But if you promise God, you, you better, better keep not it. Do it. You better and keep so, it if you promise God. I figure if I can't promise that, then what's the point of being on earth? That's how I look at things. Yeah. And God says very clearly, don't make a promise that you're not, you know, yeah. don't make but a promise you're promise not going to keep. Is, um, no, I'm keeping so, this promise. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I'm very careful. I don't like to make promises to God because That's why I'm careful they're hard to keep. I only need that one promise. The older I get, the better I was. <laughs> I don't know about that, so I don't... That's the lie. Yeah, the lie, the, lie, the lie of Satan is to try to make us think that we're better than we are anyway. You know, and that's why we have to be careful. And I agree with you. We've got to look back and say we're making progress. Otherwise, we'll give up. What's the point? Otherwise, we'll give up if we don't see progress. Uh, but the word tells us that we'll never get there. Oh yeah, I, you know, I know that. And that and the closer we get to, the closer we think we're getting, the more the cross seems to move out of the world because we start seeing but you know what, how sinful we are. In the last week or two weeks, this is funny. I mean, not funny, but it's good. Whenever I get a customer to come in, and I have never really been a person. Sometimes I don't know. They'll say, "Are you a Christian?" I said, "Yes, I'm a Christian." And he says, good. And then, but I have questions. And then years ago, I mean, I had not watched that for 20 years. They have never asked. Lately, they've been asking me that a lot. So then this one couple, these two guys came in. And 
I didn't judge people on how they look. But there's two guys, music thinking, I have, I think you're thinking, I'm thinking, I'm dirty thinking or something. Stinking, no stinking thinking. That's how I think. I'm thinking, oh, there's two guys, that means I hate to say they're gay. I'm just, but, but they weren't, they weren't at all. I was mm -hmm. talking to them, and then they were, they saw my thing that I had in there, the Christian thing. They said, are you Christian? I said, yes. And they said, they are pastors in Pennsylvania. Both mm -hmm. of them. I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but it was so neat on how they were, they were pastors from mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. And yeah. they were pastors. I said, that is so cool, you know. I said, thank you, God, that they were not, you know. Well, the great thing about that is, as we're living for Christ, and the more he's coming out of us, the more people are going to notice I that we're different and that we are Christians. It's just weird. This, and then the one guy came and he said, you're a Christian. He's, and this is so weird, this guy, because he was with his, like, his wife. And he said, I love your blue finger polish. And I'm thinking, oh, that's because I, you just said that. That blue is, is up in heaven. Somebody that's in heaven. The blue of the, of the blue heaven, black yeah. I said, all right, heaven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said, you know, but it was just funny. It just how it brought back from yeah. last week, you know. But, and that's what God's going to keep doing. He's going to keep things in front of us. And I have experienced this more often in my life when I'm going to good groups where, yeah. number one, I didn't want to be because they went to kind of groups. And I would pray, God, I'd show me the Christians. And the Spirit of God will show us other Christians. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there where you just know somebody's a Christian just by you know, God telling you. And it's amazing how often it'll happen because God will show us the Spirit because they're they're like us. I did, yeah, I think it's funny because you've been a pastor for a lot. And me, it's really kind of, I mean, I've always been a Christian, but it's more focused and I'm more learning these things, which is so cool, I get so excited. And I think, God, oh, these aren't Christians. I'm glad I'm meeting these people. Yeah. They're not these idiots, you know. And so I get excited. I'm sorry, but I do it. Oh, I love getting excited when I when I meet people who are who are I, passionate about being Christians. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love seeing people who are willing to share that they're a Christian. They're yeah. willing to you know stand out for God because you know. It, I think it's so cool because this really has never happened to me. And it's just me. I think because like, I always been praying, God, just please help me so let people know that see the light of God in me. And well, the, the more passionate we are about Christ, I think we're going to be the more the more we're going to see others that are passionate about Christ. Uh, because when we get excited, the Spirit is stirred up, the Spirit is living in us, and the Spirit is going to reveal the Spirit in other people. And the Spirit will also reveal those who are sinners in in our in our in our, in our midst. I ran a store in Washington State where I took over the store and out of the 30 employees, there were only 10 of us that were straight. And my assistant manager was, was a lesbian, and, and one time I'm sitting down and talking to her because she'd asked for my help in something because I was being assigned to a different store. For, it was, I still had that store, but you know, I was being assigned somewhere else to help them. And she called me and said, I've got some problems. So we got talking, and, and she shared with me uh, at one point, she goes, how do you know all this stuff? And I go, because God has shown me. She goes, well, you know I'm a lesbian. I go, I know that. She goes, you did not. I go, I go, I know that. I know every one of you. I know everybody in this store who is a homosexual. She goes, you don't. So I went down the whole list, told her. She goes, how do you know that? And I go, because God showed it to me. Yeah. You know, God will show us what we need to know to get through things. And he will protect us from, from things. Amazing. And because he is leading us. And the spiritual world 
is more powerful than anything we even ever come to think of. You know, no matter what your experience with it, it's more powerful than whatever you think it might be because there's warfare going around us at all times because the spiritual world is in warfare and it is around us everywhere. Uh, and you think back when Daniel was praying to God and the angels got to him finally said, well, I started to you the very day you prayed, but the prince of Persia kept me from you. And he had to call for help from a higher authority to get to Daniel. There's warfare going on and it is a big deal in the spiritual world. And we're probably very thankful that we're not seeing the warfare going on around us because it would probably scare us to death. But there's stuff going on around us, and we need, and that's why when Paul says put on your armor, he's really meaning be ready for battle at all times. Because in real, in real, for, in, in real warfare in this time, more people are hurt because they forget that they're in battle, and they stick their head up out of the foxhole or, or start laughing out loud because they think of something funny, and then they get a bullet between the eyes because they revealed their, their location or they take their helmet off for just a moment, forgetting they're on the battlefield to wipe their head and they get hit, you know, hit in the head. You know, they forget they're in battle and they get hurt. We as Christians always have to remember we are in battle and if we forget it, we're gonna take spiritual pain and, and hurt and harm because we're forgetting that we're in battle. All right, we're, we're gonna stop here. We finished verse nine. We're gonna be coming to verse 10. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to help us all to learn to hear joy, to hear gladness. Lord, we ask that you make us hear that at all times so that we will be full of the joy of our salvation, that we will be joyful and, and, and be able to lead others to you because of the joy that we have. We ask you to go with us now and, and give us a wonderful evening in your son's name. Oh, and bless this cake that we're going to have in your son's name. Amen.